Welcome back to another edition of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lantesta, and today uh, Jim and I are discussing new stories that Jim has created for the Unofficial Guide uh, book, the 2015 edition of the Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. As many of you know, um, Jim contributes to these stories every year, and as I've long said, it is my favorite part of updating the book every year is to hear uh, what new things Imagineers are trying to get funded for the rides, what things they tried to get funded and didn't work out, and the wacky ideas that they had that never seemed to make it off the drawing board. But in order to tell those stories, we need to, uh, to talk to the man who knows them, and that is one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, Len. How's it going? Not bad. I mean, <laughs> other Smooth. than yeah. – it's all right. That, that's – you know, Nancy and I are still dealing with the Black Plague. But, hey, you know, it just – Well, it's allergy season here in the, uh, in the greater south, so this episode is sponsored to you by Allegra. There we go. <laughs> right. Mainlining that and and so. ultra plus cold medicine, which is by the way fantastic stuff. If they the in the orange flavor, mm, it's got the right little amount of bite, a little citrus twang to it. It's very nice. And the the falling asleep for two hours after drinking it is also a plus. That's, so that's, that's, you know, it's it's just a nice nap in the middle of the day. I'm, I'm telling there you. There you go. So 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 Jim's come up with these uh, with these stories. We're going to walk through them. Maybe starting with the uh, the Magic Kingdom. Uh, we're going to sort of go land by land and, uh, and attraction by attraction, and uh, and Jim will tell us the uh, the stories. The good thing about the uh, the podcast is he'll be able to elaborate on them. You know, in the in the book, obviously, we're constrained by by page counts, so you might see a three or four sentence paragraph um, telling you a little bit about the story. But there's so much more detail, so much more uh, interesting trivia to go along with the story. We hope to put that into this uh, podcast. If it runs a little long, we may have to cut it short and break it up over parks, but uh, but we'll see what happens. So let's start with the uh, the Magic Kingdom, Jim. So we're, we'll go uh, clockwise through the Magic Kingdom and start with uh, with Adventureland. Okay. And in Adventureland, uh, you say that there's something coming up for Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, I, we are now about uh, it's, I want to say six months. I mean, we're we're recording this in May, uh, six months out from the start of shooting of the the final and and that's probably in, in news that people had, weren't aware of but Johnny Depp while he was out doing uh press for his most recent movie uh sort of made it clear that this is the 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 fifth film of the series will be the last time he'll you know uh get, get into the Jack Sparrow gear so they're looking to go out on a high note and the imagineers uh you know obviously want to continue to capitalize on these movies. So, you know, we saw the mermaids go in, uh, you know, the, on the heels of... Um, Four, yeah. Yeah, the, the fourth film of the series. And uh, we saw uh, Davy Jones make an appearance, uh, you know, in a miscreen and at World's End and, you know, going back to Jack himself uh, turning up three separate times in the attraction. Uh, this one, given that it's going to cap things out, Oh, uh, and and what's kind of interesting is it's uh, the Magic Bands folks really, really, really want this to be um, this particular thing to key off of that technology. Uh, you know, the downside. Something personalized in Pirates. The downside of that, though, and and this is the it's um. Now that, that Disney's decided that this is going to be the admissions uh, material for the parks, that anybody who comes in can buy them and personalize them, this is really kind of throwing off the Imagineers' original master plan. I mean, there was a, there was a, supposed to be this period where only a select number of Disney guests were going to have these things. 
And so, you know, I mean, for we've talked in the past about uh, the small world doll that you could sculpt online that would then appear in the finale in a flat screen or, or likewise uh, how you could take a, a family member and make sort of a ghost portrait of them. And, and then that would emerge also in a flat screen in uh, the Haunted Mansion. But right. now that this has become the admissions material, yeah. um, that personalization gets tougher to do in a big attraction like this. Well, I yeah, mean, so so pirates, you know, 3,000 hmm. people an hour, right? Right. Well, so there's only there's only three thousand six hundred seconds in an hour. <laughs> so every everybody gets one point what one point six seconds to. Well, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. You know, it's one of these things where it's like R Len. R, yeah, but I blinked. Know, R. That's, right. That's right. So yeah. um, so huh. they're, they're they're looking for um a way to key this off. That coupled with the fact that in an attraction like this. Where you're not in an Omnimover, so it's not a question of they can turn you to where right. the effect is going to happen. You could be on the left uh, side of the boat, you could be on the right side of the boat, and you're looking that, at different things, right? That's it, exactly. Yeah. So um, they, you know, they're actually backing off on this idea and looking to um, kind of leaning toward, all right, we need to do a big set scene. And really? it would, yeah, it would appear that the, the place they're talking now. <coughs> is the dog uh, with the keys, the, 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 the gentleman the yeah. at the very end. Um, at least in um, both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, there's a belief, there's a, a belief among the Imagineers that the last scene with, with you know, sort of uh, Captain Jack Swallow in the treasure room just doesn't play as well as it could. You know, part of the problem is in F- Florida, the um, – you know, the figure's so deep in the room, you can't really see it. And in California, it's actually on the load hill. So you, you know, you, you get a chance to look at it for a second before yeah, you always buy it. Yeah, scoot up the hill, yeah. So uh, the belief is now that, you know, well, why don't we look at, I mean, it was a wonderful moment in the movie. Why don't we put the Jack Sparrow character in there? And it would be a funny button for the attraction. It's, what's kind of interesting, though, is the one person who's, sort of voiced his opinion about I don't want this to happen is Johnny Depp. Um, really? Why? Well, as it turns out, Depp has been and, and I just got this confirmed by a, a longtime cast member at, of Disneyland. Um, Depp will do um, you know, he, it, it's something he doesn't really like to talk about, but he travels with his Jack Sparrow costume. And he will, you know, on occasion, go to a hospital ward and be Jack Sparrow for a bunch of, of kids who have cancer. And and again, it's not publicized. It's this. In, in fact, the the only time the public ever got wind of this was at when they had the premiere of At World's End at Disneyland, and Sparrow, or excuse me, Depp. Was, came on the red carpet literally 20 seconds or, or 20 minutes before the, the movie was supposed to begin and had to blitz through all of the media. And every, you know, he didn't have any time to really uh, get auto, you know, autographs or picture with the fan, and everyone was pissed off. And they were, it's like, you don't understand. He just spent three hours over at the Disneyland Hotel with a room full of kids. You know, that, that he, you know, and then it's just like, I mean, I understand the fans being upset. But you gotta you gotta at least acknowledge the guy's priorities are right. And but, but what's funny is that sometimes when he's in the outfit, 
he will drive over to Disneyland and, you know, just sort of like, I'm here. And it's like, okay. And so they take him downstairs in Pirates of the Caribbean in the jail scene. And he just steps in next to the audio animatronic. Really? You know, but again, it's only for like a half hour or so. And it's only because it amuses him greatly. Because, again, he will just do the robot-like moves for a couple minutes and then turn to the people in the boat and be like, no, seriously, you got to help me. you got to get me out of here. <laughs> you there in the blue. <clears throat> And God, animatronics are amazing. Whatever they spend it, on next gen is totally worth it. <laughs> I, what kind of amazes me at this point is that I guess he's done it three separate times at this point. And but nobody in this age of cell phones or or vines or that sort of thing has caught him doing it yet. And in fact, uh, that that was uh, my friend who's the longtime staffer over at Disneyland has suggested that maybe that's why he's he's not. He hasn't done it in about a year and a half, two years at this point, or at least come over to the parks. But, you know. He's been going of, through some stuff over the last couple of years. Uh, this is true. So, you know, but, you know probably you lower know. on his priority list. But, you know, it just, I would imagine as we get closer to, again, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tale. And, again, that's the name of the, the next film, which is supposed to come out in uh, 2016. Uh, they, uh, they actually. Uh, Disney found out that Universal had decided to open its Jurassic Park reboot, Jurassic World, on the exact same day as Pirates. And it's like, you know, maybe putting the fifth film in the series up on that date isn't the smartest move. So they pushed it out to 2016, but they're mm -hmm. still going to start shooting uh, at least second unit stuff this fall and then get serious about shooting the movie, which is going to be a big time, you know, ocean going epic this time around. Really? Uh, in 2015, yeah, they they've just so they have hired. A script? <coughs> they have a script that they are once again rewriting. Uh, they they the directors have been locked in place for a while. These are the guys who did the new version of Contiki, uh, that everybody loved so much. But they thought that it might be fun to sort of bring things full circle. And given how much of the first Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, was out on the water, let let's go do that again. So. Um, of course, that's a fun idea on paper until you're on your 100th day in the water and everybody is sunburned and crabby. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, crabby. Uh, funny. But, you know, but anyway, that's that's the way that's going to go. And supposedly, again, for the final, um, you know, in honor of the final film, they'll just pull the, the Johnny figure out of the treasure room and put him in the scene that people want to see him in, which is in uh, the jail scene. So Interesting. Ah, cool. Uh, so moving on through the uh, through the park, the uh, mm -hmm. afternoon parade. You have an interesting story about how uh, there are lots of elements uh, in the, the the new festival of fantasy parade, right? There are a lot yep. of elements related to Disney princesses, specifically a lot of elements related to the Sleeping Beauty film, except for one. Well, you know, you gotta feel bad for Aurora. You know, um, you know, it just was one of these situations where. Um, the uh, Steve Davidson was working on the parade. Uh, in fact, the, the float that we're talking about here, the um, what is it? Uh, the Princess Garden float. It's right. the, the one that leads off the parade. It's kind of a celebration, or at least you look at it. It's a celebration of the the, the Disney princesses. You've got yeah. Snow White on there, and you know uh, you've got Cinderella's dress form. And the and, uh, and the the uh, the stages where these princesses sit, they rotate. So, so they they uh, each side of the parade route gets to see the princesses. So the 
uh, Anna and Elsa, when they're on the right, they'll eventually switch to being on the left through this giant <coughs> thing, almost like the uh, the teacups spin, like same sort of that like they do, they do. And and in fact, you know, again, not to to to, to be mean here, but the, that that wonderful craftsmanship that you're looking at was originally done for Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, this is sure. one of the two two units that came over. Um, anyway, so again, the original plan was Aurora was going to be on this float. Uh, here comes November of 2000, uh, you know, 13, and you know the whole world is losing its mind over Frozen. And Steve saw the movie himself and said, "Wow, we we got to get the characters on there." So it's it's it is genuinely strange to have. I mean, you think about it. You've got Maleficent and Dragon form. You've got those kind of the three versions of the uh, the, the good fairies on there. Um, you know, the, those are the what is it? The, the, those two wheeled cars, right? The um, under their dresses, they've got the. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're um, yeah, but they're mobile. Yeah. Yeah, but built here in New Hampshire. Of course, I'm blanking the name. Um, and you know, you've got Philip fighting with with ravens, and and and. But Aurora is nowhere to be seen. And this yeah. is you've got everything. You've got everything from Sleeping Beauty except for the title character. Well, she's probably backstage dozing. That's yeah. what it is. It's like, wake up! Wake up! We gotta get on stage. And it's like uh, I've already. So, that's funny. So, uh, but yeah, that that's and again just. Last week, Iger in the the quarterly earnings call was just talking about how, you know, yep, we are looking to uh, increase. You know, we, we believe that Frozen is going to emerge as one of Disney's top five uh, franchises of all time. So we're, we are looking for places to put uh, the characters in the parks and you know that and and to celebrate that world. But as of right now, you know that it's well. We'll, we'll get to the the Epcot story about why they 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 bumped them up. They they literally decided to take them out of Norway because of the impact they were having on guest flow and that sort of thing over it uh, around World Showcase Lagoon. Yeah, it was again, something, yeah, something to be seen. We'll, we'll get there. So uh, good. Staying in the Magic Kingdom, uh, mm -hmm. and speaking of princesses, we uh, uh, the new uh, princess ride, which is from uh, Snow White. Yep. Uh, you have a story about the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. It's an interesting sort of re bit of recycling from the old uh, Snow White Scary Adventure, right? Yeah, that, that's, they had decided um, – I, I, again, you, know, you have to understand that the closing of uh, Snow White Scary Adventures was, was a somewhat controversial move. And they knew that uh, you know, the, the fans would appreciate it if they folded various elements in. So uh, truth be told, there's actually, I want to say, seven figures from the, the, the seven dwarves that, that make it into this attraction. But it's not the dwarves, right? Yeah, well, uh, we do have in the, um, the finale of the, uh, or the, the sort of the button scene for the attraction where you're looking into Snow Wife's cottage and uh, you can see uh, – the five of the dwarves are have actually been pulled out of the original attraction. You've got Grumpy, you've got uh, you know Happy, and, and but again, what's kind of interesting, and this is you know a minor quibble about the ride itself. Um, the the scale here just doesn't match the size of the dwarves that we saw earlier in the attraction. You know, uh, the, but again, these were designed for the dark ride that opened in '71. And How is the scale off? Well, it's it's the dwarves. When you get to see them, I mean, you know, Doc is pr is seated in a chair and sort of towers over you. I would say he's a pretty big dwarf. He's about five feet tall. 
<laughs> you know, or you know, in fact, you know, I, you know, just, I, but I, I, part of the problem is they needed him that big because of you know how fluidly he moves. You know, there you, you, you can't. A lot of stuff behind him, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, likewise, the projection equipment for his face, that sort of thing. The other dwarves that are positioned around the right, I want to say, are a good four feet tall. That sort of thing. Where that's like is, Italian grandmother size. That's not really dwarf. There you go. That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then, but when you get to the, um, the the Enchanted Cottage scene, you actually have the dwarves that are pulled out of the ride, and they're, you know, they top out at about three feet, um, and which makes them kind of hard to see through. Again, I don't understand when they started putting picture windows in the Black Forest, but they're there in Snow White's Cottage. Um, but anyway, I, my personal favorite of the, the elements that they carried over from uh, Snow White's Scary Adventures are the two uh, vultures who, you know, used to sort of, you know, the, the heads would follow you as you pass through the room. Uh, they've, they, I, my question, though, is these were inside uh, from 71 to – when was that that they shut it down? 2010? 11? 2000. So yeah, that's a lot of years indoors, and now these these two figures are up on on a high. You know, when you get to the first load hill in the attraction, oh, they're outside now. They're outside. So oh. I don't. You know, I, wonder, I, I wonder if it's the ULYing for that is uh, is approved for outdoor use. Oh, speaking of which, and I, I really hesitate to bring this up, but I just found out about this. Just a, we recorded our Seven Dwarfs Mind Train thing. <coughs> oh. Last week of their yeah. roads. Um I, I heard from somebody uh, who in the industry who, who got through the attraction and said, don't get me wrong, they've done some wonderful work. But the UV paint that they use for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train starts to fade in six months. Really? And, yeah. So this is one of these situations where you're now in the hands of Walt Disney World's maintenance department to make sure that they're going in there and touching up the paint and, you know, really, because, again, the reason that room where a million diamonds shine really pops is because of all this clever use of, of UV paint in addition to the lit from within, you know, projected face figures of the dwarves. So I guess what I'm saying is if you want to see this thing as the Imagineers originally envisioned it, <sighs> Now. You, need to, you need to get there fast. You have a so it, it still hasn't opened. We uh, you know we're we're recording this in the middle of May. It still hasn't opened. You think it's still on schedule for the end of the month? They seem determined to make the May twenty eighth date. They also, uh, from what I've been hearing, have been doing the, you know, the, again this may be if you're going to be going down to to Disney over and be in the kingdom over the next couple you know two weeks or thereabouts. Um, keep an eye out for people with clipboards, uh, because what they're doing is evidently recruiting guests to experience this. Uh, but again, just, you know, it's, it's luck of the draw, you know, if, if the, you get there at the right time and, uh, but they, they just now feel like so many people had come, you know, booked their Walt Disney World vacations. Cause again, the, the, the rumor was this would open late April, early May that, you know, uh, better to send people home who can evangelize about, wow, I went on that new ride and how fun it was, as opposed to, you know, I stood there all day and couldn't get in, and I saw them running the trains, and what a jip. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's where they're kind of leaning here. 
Right, cool. Staying in uh, staying in Fantasyland and uh, talking about uh, uh, new things that uh, may not pan out. I love the title of this uh, story, by the way. You mentioned something about uh, the uh, Peter Pan's flight and how. Uh, remember the uh, the the queue had been altered for this because apparently it was going to get some new interactive elements, but now it doesn't look like they're going to do anything on that. Yeah, but, and this uh, is <coughs> you know, and again, I'm I. The problem is, in order to tell this story, you have to sort of acknowledge that uh, as as magical as the magic bands are and, you know, all the cool stuff that you can do in the parks with them, they did come at a cost. Uh, you know, I, I, this thing ran way, way, way over budget. And as a result of which, um, you know, the whole notion was that because they were sending, you know, they're going to try to get so many people in the park to – to be using FastPass, you know, to book, uh, you know, book attractions in advance, they felt like they had to do a lot more of what they Disney calls scene ones. I mean, if you've been on uh, Space Mountain and seen all the games that are in the queue, or if you've been to Winnie the Pooh, uh, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, and, and seen the various play stations uh, that are within the queue area, uh, same thing with Mansion. Uh, and and more to the point, uh, with Seven Dwarfs Mine Train between the gym uh, washing stations and all that. Um, but because there was this huge cost overrun, and depending on who you talk to, Disney may have gone a billion dollars over budget. Wow! Uh, on the whole, my Disney Experience Magic Bands uh, Fast Pass Plus program, uh, they just turned around and said, "Look, you know, part of our budget initially was supposed to be." the series of scene ones and and we're talking about for example the scene one that was supposed to be installed for uh, a rock and roller coaster and in the, this case the peter pan one which with disney was so far along with um again with this project they actually it, you know they knew in order to do it they'd have to take out the restrooms uh the ones right behind uh, peter pan Right. So that's why, actually, the Rapunzel-themed family restrooms were built across the street. It was like, okay, we've moved them over there. We can now begin tearing these out. And it was about at that exact point that the word came down. It's like, we don't have any money in our budget to continue with these scene ones. If you're going to put them in, it'll have to be the parks themselves that pay for this. And uh, and yeah. from, the, you know, from the, the, the position of the vice presidents who run these individual parks, it's like, well, let me think. Do I want to spend a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars on you know putting a new element in a queue for an already popular attraction, or do I want to build a new you know want to spend money on a real new attraction? Yeah. So that one hundred fifty k is not going to get you a new attraction, but no, it's a, no, you know, ten of them would, right? Right. That's it exactly. I mean, you know, it, it, but even then, you know, that that remember this is Disney we're talking about, which is you know nobody can spend money quite the way disney does you know just sort of like the, you know I, I, even the pentagon it's like wow you know 800 dollars hammer would be a bargain to do you guys spend a lot of money says the pentagon to disney. there you go yeah. so you know um so, so, are yeah. both, so are, I, I, don't, I don't remember are both bathrooms open now the peter pan bathrooms and the rapunzel bathrooms no no in fact the my understanding is that the peter pan bathrooms are closed uh you know and in fact the, the sad thing is that um, if the p elements for the Peter Pan uh, interactive queue had been in fabrication, Disney would have gone ahead and installed them. That, but 
they were only designed. I, you know, that that's in in a weird sort of way. That's what saved uh, Big Thunders. Uh, they were already built. That they were already built. So it wasn't a question of well, we're not going to keep them in the warehouse. You know, put them out there. But uh, but yeah, they did. The interactive queue for Peter Pan is designed. The interactive queue and its elements for rock and roller coaster design. But unless the vice presidents in charge of those parks decide to pay for them, they're never happening. So, wow, and they'll, um, they'll probably never decide to do that. There you go. So, it, how much? How much was that? What was the budget line to actually fabricate and install? This got to be more than a hundred thousand dollars because. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's recently. you know they, the 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 hundred thousand dollars was just the. Um, Demo printing, oh, you know, okay. I mean, you know, the site survey, the, you know, what are our load bearing, you know, uh, walls, that sort of thing. My understanding, it, it was, uh, God, Pan, because of the tight space and was going to be close to 10 or $15 million. Uh, but on the other hand, the notion was that you could put another two to 300 people in there an hour that would play um, and, you know, enjoy that experience rather than snaking back and forth in the lines. Um, huh. though, though that said, that, that I, there's been um, there's been kind of a pushback from the actual people who operate the parks in regard to the scene ones, or, or more to the point, futzing with successful rides. I, I don't know if you've heard about, you know, uh, any of the problems they've been having with Dumbo. But, um, no, the issue with Dumbo. Um. Well, first of all, guests are now having trouble finding it, which it is in the middle of nowhere, and you can tell from the wait times that it's not it's not nearly as possible uh, popular as it used to be. Well, uh, that coupled with the fact that by doubling up on the Dumbo thing, uh, you know, the the two ride things. I mean, in the past, this had always been a self-regulating ride. I mean, don't get me wrong; it was prominently positioned. You came through the castle, you could see it. Yeah. And more to the point, you could see that there was a line wrapped around it, and you know you could it can, it, you could make the decision of do I really want to stand in line for two minutes of spinning? Now, uh, where it's located, and the fact that you know just you know I, I was there for the uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train event, and it was fascinating to watch people walk up and try to figure out how to get on the ride. And, and the cast members kept having to explain, you get in this line, you go in that building, and eventually we'll tell you how to get on the ride. And it's like, but I just want to get on the ride. Yeah. So um, <coughs> this may be one of these situations where, you know, they seen one, uh, you know, between the, the combination of uh, doubling up on – and that's the irony. They've doubled up on capacity and – And moved they, it so it's less popular. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what can you do? Yeah, a so. couple of times I've uh, been on it, and granted this was other, you know, sort of early in the morning or sort of late at night, but um, there weren't enough people in the line to fill up all of the ride vehicles, which is and, you know, sort of mildly interesting given the fact that they spent the money double it. Granted, even if they, you know, if they spent the money, it is way prettier than it used to be. And it's, uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from a kinetics point of view, I, I don't have a problem with it. But I, I this this trip was the first time I got into the. Um, you know uh, the actual uh, scene one, and you know just I, again nothing says I should spend lots of time in here like lots of screaming children. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and, and screaming children <laughs> just makes me happy. And, uh, and then you know the whole notion of hand me you know that that you know here's your 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 uh, your beeper to let you know that that you know when it's time to go on the ride, and it's just sort of like I. 
it's like I came to go to a theme park, not to Panera's. But you know, it's like all right, all right okay. Jim, your sandwich yeah. is ready. There you go. There you go. Time to spin. That's so, funny. So, all right, staying in uh, staying in Finland, you've got a, a great story involving an attraction that just turned fifty years old uh, this um, year. Not in uh, Walt Disney World, but in Disneyland. It's the uh, it's the it's a small world attraction. Yeah, and and in fact, I just I I just tripped over this story. I want to say. Uh, a week to ten days ago, prepping for a walk and talk I was going to do in Flushing Meadow, but um, you know the the history of Small World is is fascinating in that again this is the attraction that never really should have happened. I mean, evidently Pepsi Cola uh, knew as early as 1960 that they wanted to do something for the New York World's Fair, and more to the point that they wanted to be involved uh, with UNICEF, which uh, the, the the you know the, the United Nations. Emergency fund for children, uh, and but you know the, again as as giant corporations do that they, they kept dithering and they they kept doing different presentations and finally it's the summer of 1963 and you know they don't have anything and but it turns out that Joan Crawford all right whose whose uh, late husband was the CEO of Pepsi and and you know when he passed away they they as a Goodwill gesture and really not thinking clearly, put her on the board of directors. <laughs> you know, because nothing bad could ever come from that. Um, and so she's like, "Well, I know that nice Walt Disney. Let's call him. I know he's doing some stuff for the fair. Maybe he can help us." And you know, there's of course the the you know the famous story about you know the call goes through to to Disney and it's you know admiral joe fowler the guy a guy who you know again was known from disney as can do you know walt would say well you know joe we're going to build a mountain in the middle of of disneyland it's like can do walt uh and and this is the one time he said can't do it i'm sorry you know just we've got nine months at this point till the fair opens up there's nothing you know we'd have to design a building we have to design a ride uh, there's just not enough time. We have other – and so, oh, you know, the, the, the Pepsi people went away. and and But this is like Friday, and on Monday, they, you know, they have the sort of staff roundup meeting, and, and Joe mentions in passing to Walt, oh, by the way, I got this call from the, the people at Pepsi, and they wanted us to do something at the World's Fair, and, you know, there's just not enough time. And I said no, and Walt, you know, that's the eyebrow goes up. And, no, you said no. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. I'm the one who makes those decisions. You get on the phone and call the Pepsi people back and tell them we're going to do it. And so now they design this ride, and they bring it to the Pepsi people. And the Pepsi people are like, Ugh. you so know. The, the idea was the, the adults, right? The, yep. The, the, you know, the seven continents of the world and little children dancing and singing. And, you know, I kind um, of admire the fact that the Pepsi – this is this is this is how you know that it was a different era back in the '60s. The Pepsi people look at it and go, seven continents of uh, children coming together to sing." Man, I hate children singing. I, 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 you know, that was back when you know smoking was good for you and seatbelts were optional in cars. And adults had had the 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 will in their character to say, "You know what? I don't really like the sound of children uh, singing." That those were the days. Those were well, the days. What was fascinating about it, and in fact, it, it the, this story didn't really come out till um, uh, there was a book that was written in 1980 called The Pavilion, uh, which was about uh, the Osaka World's Fair. I want to say that was 73, 74. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and anyway, you know, so the, the topic of six, you know, because, you know, again, people are comparing, you know, World's Fair attractions. And it turns out that uh, Small World, because of the boats, you know, and the, I think they, they had 53 boats in the track at, at any one time. So they could bump a ridiculous number of people through an hour, I think. Uh, they boasted in year one that they could get 3,500 through an hour. And I remember reading an off-season report, you know, where they were making some changes with the track to the hope to bump it up to 4,000 people an hour. Wow. All right. You know, so but you know, so it always turned up on the list of most popular attractions. And, you know, and certainly most people got to experience. So someone was asking the Pepsi, oh, you were involved with that. What is it? Oh, we hated that attraction. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, the sound of children singing brings joy to our hearts. Yes, that's exactly. Well, you know, actually, the, the 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 specific complaint was that it didn't sell the product. So I, I think the Pepsi executives, if every child in the world had been clutching a so, bottle, yeah, yes, all right, they would have loved that ride. But it was like the fact that it was this Pepsi Cola presents Walt Disney's, uh, you know, a small world, a, a tribute to UNICEF, and the fact that. You know, they got top billing, but they got, you know, they, there was a little, like, Pepsi kiosk outside the door. You know, we could you could get a beverage, but, but at the same no time... Was, placement in the ride. Well, that's exactly. More to the point, the Pepsi thing was next to, you know, a pavilion or a little sort of kiosk, which gave you information of, of you know, about UNICEF's efforts and had all these sort of bleak pictures of starving children. And nothing going to sort of put you off your need for soda, like, pictures of bleak starving children so so it was like but anyway to, to get back to it so the board of directors is like eh, well I, I don't know and maybe and joan crawford stands up and it's like we asked him to do this and you know he, he's made time he came here to present it to us you we cannot do that not not do you can't it. not not do it right and so she personally bullied the board of directors into and and again to give you some idea of how the press price structures have changed all of small world and we're talking the building the figures the boats the track everything that was just four million dollars ah oh, jeez you know and they got it again they built the entire so for the size of a an okay manhattan apartment yep these days <laughs> you know? yep. No, nothing, nothing too great, you know, nothing, nothing below Seventy Fifth Street. But uh, uh, yeah, you could buy a, uh, you could buy an entire ride back then. Though, the, though, to be fair here, uh, um, what is it? Jeff Heimbuck, who who does his, been doing his kind of a cute story series of DVDs. Is uh, Rolly Crump? They've just put a fourth edition out, and there's a, um, a great story by Rolly about he he worked on, I'm gonna. Small world, and it turns out during the the off season, the ground began to settle around the attraction, and so you know they 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 went to fire it up the spring of '65 for the last season, and the boats couldn't make it through because really? you know because they, again they they were kind of canted on one side. So what they did is they went out and again you you could not do this today. They just went out and got a bunch of railroad ties and sort of shimmed up the track. So now it was it was level once again, uh, and, and and that worked fine for the six months that the attraction was going to be open uh, in Flushing Meadow. But uh, but yeah, that that's 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 your quality control right there. It's like ah, the track doesn't work. Get me some railroad ties. So wow, yeah, these days it would be down for six months and yep. be uh, ground uh, ground studies and mm -hmm. huh. How about that? So Joan Crawford. Did, by the way, speaking of Joan, did did the, 
did the Pepsi board of directors have any inkling about how she raised her kids when she came to them and said, gentlemen, I've got an offer for you? No. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you sort of if you sort of know the background of the person, she comes to you and says, I got something you need to do. Mm-hmm. The the or else implication that goes unspoken in those sort of negotiations is probably enough to tip the scales. No, that that's, we were still about 15 years out from Christina Crawford, Crawford's Mommy Dearest book at that point. Right. Though the interesting thing is supposedly in the Faye Dunaway movie, uh, there's actually a couple of scenes in the Pepsi-Cola boardroom where, where, where Joan really does show that, or again, played by Faye Dunaway, really does show that she has a pair. So, <laughs> so anyway. All right, cool. All right, so uh, so a couple more things in the Magic Kingdom, and we'll uh, we'll wrap up this episode. We uh, you talk about um, uh, Main Street USA and the the con- uh, the construction stuff going on there. Yeah, um, I, I love the I love the title of this one, by the way. Well, it, it, it's I, hang on, let me. It, it's I've got it here somewhere. Think oh yes, an amusement park gonna, angioplasty. Yes, think of this as an amusement park angioplasty. All right, um, this is where it gets kind of. Interesting, and, and the you get to see the ripple effect of opening New Fantasyland. Um, now, this this past holiday season was really the first time after the opening of, of uh, New Fantasyland that they could really feel the full effect of what that could absorb. You know, how many more people you could put into the park, right. and uh, again, that that again at, at the quarterly uh, uh, earnings call earlier this year. Jay Rizzillo boasted about the fact that they were able to put 5,000 more people per day into that park because ah. of New Fantasyland. <clears throat> in fact, for the first time in a long time, over uh, the 2013-2014 holiday season, they didn't really do any phased closing. I mean, they, they actually reached points where the parking lot was full, but if you wanted to go to the Magic Kingdom mm-hmm. – um, they would send you over to Epcot and tell you to get on the monorail and come over to the Magic Kingdom, and you could still get in, um, you know, because this area. And and again, you know, that that you of all people understand that, for example, with Little Mermaid, it's not just the people who are on the ride at that time; it's the people who are standing in the queue, you know, that that number of people you've gotten off the street, um, you know, that though just those lines, just those that. You know, or the people eating and, and be our guests, that sort of thing. Um, that allowed to bring that many more people into the park. And of course, um, when you see how big the queue is for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, I'm thinking we're, we're talking about bumping out attendance levels to the park uh, for for the kingdom uh, to max it out by possibly as high as an additional eight to ten thousand people. Wow. Um, but conversely, these people have to get back to New Fantasyland, and they found that a real pinch point in the park was uh, the hub. That you know that that uh, because there is so much open grassland and <coughs> that sort of thing, uh, the rose gardens, all that, um, especially when it comes parade time or fireworks time, right. um, this is dangerously congested back there. Uh, you know, and so what they've decided to do is create this additional set of walkways um, that will actually be brought into play uh, every night for uh, special viewing of the, the uh, fireworks. In fact, if again, getting back to the Magic Bands, if you've, you've done your homework at home and booked your 
I want to stand in the special place to watch uh, the fireworks. This is where they'll corral you. They'll just, you know, sort of take, you know, uh, one whole set of walkways and sort of chain off the entrance and the exit. And as you arrive, you'll, you know, just be told to go to that point, show your wristband, and be waved in. And this is an area that's supposed to hold fifteen hundred to two thousand people. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's and, a lot for one for one particular uh, uh, show. That's that's not yeah, that's a lot of people. It is, but at the same time, you, you and know, they could, so would they do it? They do they do fifteen hundred two thousand for the afternoon parade. Yeah. The uh, evening parade, and then for the well, which is fireworks, there's six thousand people right there. Yeah, and you know, mm. when you think about that many people accommodated per day, and and the, again, think about the, you know, think about the, the, the how many of us have spent hours standing trying to get, you know, maintain a primo spot so we can enjoy a show, yeah. and the, the notion of walking up even 10 or 15 minutes before it begins, getting waved into an area and be standing there as Tinkerbell, standing in the exact spot that Tinkerbell flies over as the fireworks begin. I mean, this, this is, I, I know magic bands aren't necessarily popular with diehard Disney fans, but, but for the, you know, uh, Joe and Jill six-pack, the people who actually buy the vacation packages, they love this, I'm gonna, and and more to the point, Disney knows it's going to take two to three years longer than they had initially expected to recover all of the startup costs for this. But they uh, they just keep talking about when they get in front of the financial people about just the imp- change in impulse buying we're seeing because people have the wristbands and like I want a churro, I have a churro. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, they're going to try to recover an extra billion dollars in churros alone. So. It's going to be sure interesting to watch. That's how they're going to that's how they're going to uh, get their money back on the basis yep. of uh, one sugary uh, fried tre- uh, treat at a time. There you go. Awesome, Jim. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing these stories on the uh, on the Magic Kingdom. Let's uh, let's save the other parks for for another show because we're already at uh, a pretty long show for this one. How's that sound? That works. Excellent. All right, uh, everyone. Uh, the, this has been another edition of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Uh, Jim, thanks for uh, attending the show. Please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. We do uh, read those comments and try and incorporate them. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care, guys.